Today's scripture passage is from Matthew 7, 24 to 27. In our Red Pew Bibles, this is page 812. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Before we jump into this passage that is a favorite of mine, I just wanted to say quickly I really appreciate a lot of people at this church. I'm, I'm new here, if you didn't know, so I'm, I'm getting to know people. Um, there are some wonderful people here, and one of them is Stephanie, who just gave the announcements. I mean, she works here, and she, oh yeah, see, you can applaud and even ask for applause. It just starts naturally. Um, but I was, I was sitting here first service, and I realized I didn't have my cheat sheet that Stephanie made me for what I do after the message. There's like communion and all that. When I was first preaching here, I had no idea what to do. And so Stephanie just made me this perfect like perfect epic cheat sheet of what I'm supposed to do here. Um, and I was looking at it this morning and, real, and it just kind of reminded me, man, Stephanie does so much around this church and for so many people here and keeps things moving. And I hope we really appreciate Stephanie and others. So, wow, okay, we got like <laughs> major love. Um, so cool, thank you. Um, also, just on a, on a personal note, um, I've started this series on koinonia a few weeks ago. We did a couple weeks, took a week off and back on. This idea of of koinonia, of Christian community, or Christian friendship, Christian fellowship, um, those of us trying to follow Jesus but doing it together, and doing our life together, encouraging one another, praying for one another, breaking bread with one another, um, this idea of koinonia. Um, and I just wanted to say, as somebody who's, who's new here and gets to preach, um, I'm really grateful for you all. Um, there's just a lot of wonderful, kind, um, good people here who have been encouraging to me, um, but also willing to step out and hear teaching and jump into things. We, a couple weeks ago, we had a bunch of encouragement cards, note cards. Were you guys here for that? Had a, a table up here of all these cards. Yeah, a couple, <laughs> sound man in the back was here. Um, all these cards here, and I encourage you to take one and write a note of encouragement to somebody. Like, sometimes when you plan something like that, nobody does it. Like, when we were in a staff meeting, I was like, is anybody going to do this? Um, but it was really fun the next week for me to actually hear from people who received cards and actually who told me, I received a card and it was like this big blessing and encouragement to me. Somebody wrote me a card in that service and gave it to me and then talked to another person who said, oh, I received a card from that service and it was really encouraging. So to me, that, that gave me just this added level of kind of excitement and encouragement um, that, there, that God is moving here at Regeneration, amen? Like God is in our midst, in the midst of, in the midst of everything we're going through and learning, but I feel like I, I just see uh, people learning, people excited, people growing, um, people jumping into life together, um, and that gives me a lot of joy and, and uh, encouragement. So I'm going to say a quick prayer for us again, and then we'll jump into this passage. God, thank you for your love and for your grace and for your mercy. And I pray that even as we look at this Sermon on the Mount and the idea of building our house on the rock, um, remind us that in the middle of that, God, that we are loved that even maybe we've gone through life and we've messed up and we haven't built our house on the rock, 
Remind us of the grace and the mercy that you offer us. Um, Please remind us of your love in this moment. And God, we all have different things on our minds this morning, um, but would you allow us to take a breath to remember who you are, to remember that you are with us. Um, And please, God, encourage us through the scripture this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll be jumping into um, this final passage or this final wrap-up of the Sermon on the Mount um, in a moment. But I wanted to start at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount because it wouldn't make sense to just talk about the wrap-up and not at least look at what's leading up to the wrap-up, right? So I want to actually look first at Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2. And then do a little overview of this Sermon on the Mount and talk about what it can mean for our lives. So Matthew 5, 1 to 2. And the Sermon on the Mount really goes through uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So here's this very beginning part. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened up his mouth and taught them, saying. And then after that, we have this really beautiful, epic collection of Jesus' wisdom and teaching for the next couple of chapters. But I want to focus on this beginning point um, and even the context of what was happening. Jesus, in his historical context, was a rabbi or a teacher. So in the Gospels, when you read it, they all came up to him and they would say, teacher, because he was functioning in in that historical setting um, as a rabbi. And a rabbi was somebody that if you were a, a good Jewish person, you desperately wanted to be taught by a rabbi and to learn from them. Um, So much so that if you were chosen by a rabbi to follow them, it was a huge deal for you and your family to be chosen by a rabbi to actually follow them. And there's a saying that I really love, and the saying was said way back then and is still said in Israel today, um, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Meaning that you're walking around hills, and right, dirt pathways all day, wearing sandals, and as you're following them, you want to follow right behind your rabbi, like all day, every day, on their every word, so much so that your rabbi is walking in their sandals, and you are right there, and the dust is just covering your face. Like, that's how much you are excited to be with your rabbi and to hear the teachings of your rabbi. And the idea was that they were passing on Torah. They were passing on the scriptures they had to the next generation, and you were so excited to just be covered in the dust of your rabbi um, all the time. But I want to point out that even back then, trying to follow God and integrate what God said into your life was a group thing. So they had a small group of people. So Jesus starts to teach, and it says his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, now at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it's actually strange because it it points out that that there were large crowds there. Okay, but in the very first couple of verses, it seems like Jesus is teaching, and his disciples are there, and they are eager. Like, they jump up and sit there, and they are ready to be taught. Um, we have a picture of the Sea of Galilee, um, and I've, I have the privilege of, of walking around there and studying there. And when Jesus taught a lot around the Sea of Galilee, and you, if you're there, you can really picture it. Because there's some mountains on the sides, and a lot of just rolling hills or smaller hills on the sides. And it is so easy to picture Jesus taking a few steps and sitting down and starting to teach. And you can just imagine people walking up and listening. So much so that almost every Christian group I've seen there usually does this. They go to the Sea of Galilee, they find a little hill, and someone reads the Sermon on the Mount, and you get, get this like tingly feeling because you're, you're doing it where Jesus first said these things. Um, but I want to point out, actually let's go back and look through the Sermon on the Mount. So I want to do a, a really quick overview um, 
of the Sermon on the Mount and then talk about building our house on Jesus and his teaching. So if you want to follow along in Matthew 5, 6, 7, you want to like leaf through to make sure I don't make stuff up, um, go ahead and, and go through there. Um, but I want to just do some highlights, okay? The Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus, and I can't do all of it, I'm just going to say a few things here. Jesus says, you are the light of the world, okay? Jesus teaches about anger and the dangers of anger and talks about moving to reconciliation. Jesus talks about adultery and even the dangers of lust. Jesus talks about conflict and retaliation and instead moving into to peacemaking and nonviolence. Jesus talks about loving your enemies. Jesus talks a lot about money and being generous and actually giving away your money to other people. Jesus talks about prayer, teaches people how to pray, talks about prayer and fasting, not to be seen by other men, but to actually communicate with your heavenly Father who loves you. Jesus talks about worrying and moving from worrying to trusting in our heavenly Father. Jesus talks about moving away from judgment and condemnation, um, but to see the plank in our own eyes. Jesus talks about asking God for whatever it is we need, that going to our Father and asking for it. Jesus wraps a lot of this up by saying, to treat others as you would want to be treated. Jesus describes this life with God. You could call it kingdom of God ethics. Some call it the with God life. But Jesus lays out, here are these values. Here are God's values. Here are my values. Let me tell you how to live um, on this earth. But the tricky part about life is sometimes it's hard to integrate or to see integration of ideas into our real life. Amen? There are a lot of good ideas out there. I, I bet some of you read a really great Facebook article this week, right? Some of you found a really great magazine this article, some, or a blog post, or something that you thought was really cool this week. But the trick is, we can run into beautiful teachings and beautiful ideas, but can we actually integrate them into our real, everyday flesh and blood lives, right? When we really wake up in the morning and face real life and decide what to do and we, we go wherever we have to go to the day that probably isn't our favorite place to go where we go on Monday, right? But how does Jesus' teachings actually make sense in a real life? I um, was thinking about this, this idea of integration into our life and my kids, um, like all kids, go to school or like most kids go to school, um, and sometimes they ask me for help with their homework, and sometimes I'm in a good mood and it's great, sometimes I'm tired and I don't really want to help them with their homework, but um, my kids often ask me about math, and just to be clear, I, I love, I think public education is wonderful, my kids go to OUSD schools, yay OUSD and teachers, and I think math is great, but my kids ask me about math a lot, and about like algebra and geometry type of stuff sometimes, and they give me, and they're like, well, this algebra problem is complicated, dad, how, how do I do this? And I look at it, and I have no idea what it's talking about. Like, like, I literally don't even know the words. They use different words now in math than back when I was in school. And I literally have no, and I just say, I don't know. And then my kids look at me like, like you're a 40-year-old man who went to college, right? Like, you say you went to college, and mom went to, and, and you can't help us with the algebra. And I, I end up explaining to them, I don't actually use algebra in my real life. So, like... <laughs> And I know that's dangerous to say to a kid, right? Like, you, a lot of people don't actually ever use this again. Um, but some people do. And I go, well, engineer, you know, other people do. But, but I, I meet with people, right? I, I study the Bible. Um, 
I, pick, I drive around East Oakland, and I'm in young people's lives. I, I coach about, I do certain things, but I don't do this. So I learned it, right? And I thought it was a good thing to learn, but it means nothing to my life. So I actually can't help you with it. It's not integrated at all into my real life. And I tell that silly story to say that Jesus has these amazing teachings. Um, and we have this, this opportunity to like glean wisdom from Jesus and from the scriptures and to see can it integrate into my actual life in a way that it actually moves me and changes me. And I want to challenge us that as a church, we, we often would say the right theological statements that, that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Son of God and the Trinity, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Messiah, and probably a lot, I could see a lot of other things that Jesus is, but I would also say what if Jesus is the wisest teacher to ever live? What if Jesus is the wisest, smartest person to ever say stories and teaching about life? Because if Jesus is God and Jesus told stories about life on the earth, probably that whatever that wisdom is from Jesus is incredibly important for our real lives today. And what I love about the Sermon on the Mount, on one hand, it's, it's really deep. Like in a way, of, it, it cuts you to your core. I mean, it's, it's about your inner life and it really cuts in a deep way, even today reading it. But it's also incredibly practical. It is really practical. I mean, it's about how we get along with people that are hard to get along with. It's about our money, right? It's, it's, just, it's about these very practical, real life things and how that can integrate into our real life. And one of these values of regeneration, and regen's been in a process of working on values and vision since before I got here, and one of those values is the integration of scripture into, into our real life. Um, so I'm going to read this closing passage again and talk about it, make a few points about it, and then we have a testimony. So Matthew 7, uh, starting in 24. So everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So a, a couple points about this passage. One of them is that if you're going to build a house or if you're going to build a life on the earth, you want the best advice and knowledge, right? Like if you're building something, if you were going to build a house, you would want people who know how to build a house to help you, right? Um, so I was, I told this story first service and there, some friends of mine who were in the room were there like giggling at me. Um, but I had this moment a couple weeks ago. I was with some old friends at a retreat center in Santa Cruz. And I just, I got there late, and I was just sat down with some old friends, and I was excited to sit and talk to them. I'm just sitting in this relaxed, like, retreat mode um, with dear old friends, and this wonderful, beautiful little child runs up to the side, and another, another one behind her, and she says, hey, excuse me. And I think, like, I think I used to know this little person. I'm like, hi. She goes, hey, um, can you help, can you help us? I was like, oh, of course, I, like, I would love to help you, adorable little person. And they say, well, we we're putting a zip line out in between these two trees and like we don't, we're not doing, I don't know if it's quite right, so we, we need an adult to come do the zip line to make sure it's good and safe. And I, 
first of all, look at her like, okay, and then I go, yeah, and then I go, wait, no. I said, no, I should not help you with that because I'm, I'm terrible at fixing or building things. Like, so I shouldn't help you. And this little, like, six-year-old girl is looking at me like, you're not going to help me? And then I, and I try to explain, I don't know how to do things like that. And she's like, what? You're, you know, like, you're a grown man. Again, like, you're a grown man. You and there's a, a, a really close friend of mine sitting on the couch, and she leans over and says, no, really, you don't want Nate to fix anything that's important. <laughs> like, you, I know him. He's my friend. He's my neighbor. He doesn't build stuff. You should not have, put, don't put your faith in him. So I go, who told you? And then she goes over there, and it's another good friend of mine who says to him, ask me. I'm like, tell him he, he knows not to ask me. Go ask him again to do the zip line. I should not touch the zip line. It's dangerous, okay? But I tell that silly story to say, if we're going to do something, if we're going to build a house, like you want the person who knows how to do it, right? If you're going to build a life, we, you want the best wisdom you can get. So you, we want the wisdom from Jesus on how to build a life. And beyond that, the, the wisdom from Jesus, but then we need the help and support of people around us who will help us build this kind of of life together, people who are good at encouraging us and helping us in this kind of life. I want to point out um, a couple commonalities in this story. There are two houses built. It's a very simple illustration. It's a simple little story. Two houses are built, one on the rock, one on the sand. I want to point out a super simple fact, is that the rain comes on all the houses, and the floods come, right? No matter where you build your house, you can build it on the rock, you can build it on the sand, you can build it somewhere else. The, the rain is going to come, and the floods are going to come. And those of us who have been alive for a while, we know that at some point in your life, the rain is going to come, and the floods are going to come. Amen? It, it's going to come. It's just a matter of time and how it comes. But sickness will come, and death will come, and loneliness will come and betrayal will come, and a heartbreak will come, living as humans on this earth. That is a part of our life. The rains are going to fall. The only difference is how we withstand it. How the house falls down or doesn't fall down, but the rains are going to come. Okay, so all this Sermon on the Mount stuff, what does this have to do with koinonia? We were actually in a staff meeting, and I was talking about this sermon, and someone in the staff meeting said, but what does this have to do with koinonia? And I was like, that's a great question right there. I'm trying to tie this into this series of koinonia and look at some, some early church history. So if you'll work with me for a minute, um, a few weeks ago, I taught a message on Acts chapter 2. Um, and the thing is, we need each other to follow the Sermon on the Mount. We need each other to be able to integrate this into our real life. So going back to Jesus, Jesus teaches and gives parables and heals. Jesus is killed. Jesus, ri Jesus ri rises from the grave. Jesus then appears to disciples, and then right after that, the early church starts in Acts. And they get together, and Acts 2 talks about they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Then it says that they actually shared everything, all their possessions, their money. They had this intense uh, teaching, eating, and sharing experience. And then I taught on Hebrews chapter 10, 24 to 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another towards love and good deeds. And then I also want to point out um, the Apostle Paul in his New Testament teachings, 
all these letters that he wrote, Philippians, Colossians, the Corinthians, all that stuff, he uses this phrase over and over, one another. Over and over, he says, pray for one another, forgive one another, encourage one another. Right, this one another theme comes over and over again. So from the very first time Jesus spoke the Sermon on the Mount and his disciples ran up to his feet, to the very early church, either reciting or reading the Sermon on the Mount, the church has been wrestling with, how do we follow this Jesus together? How do we, how do we together follow this Jesus? And so Paul has to write letter and letter and letter, helping these little church communities figure out, how do we follow this Jesus and how do we do it together? How do we, how do we help each other do this? And now it's the year 2018, my notes say 2019. It is 2018, right? I just got confused. <laughs> 2018, right? And we sit in Oakland at a church building, a beautiful church building. And you, you, and you sit in these beautiful wooden pews, right? And some of you sit by yourself. Some of you sit with friends or family. And you sit here and we look back at something Jesus said around 2,000 years ago. And we look at it. We look at this Sermon on the Mount and these, and these teachings for life. And we sit here like people have for generations and generations in different settings, and we read this teaching, and we need each other to help us learn how to flesh this out in our real life. We need people to encourage us, to support us, to remind us that God loves us even when we mess up and totally break all of the Sermon on the Mount. Somebody that reminds us that God offers forgiveness still, and we can keep moving forward, we can keep building a house and go back and build it on the rock, but we need each other. So I want to ask you a couple of, of questions to, to ponder and reflect on. Who is it that helps you integrate Jesus' teachings into your real life? Think about who are the people that really help you, encourage you to integrate this teaching into your actual life. When your neighbor is being cranky and your cousin is offending you and you don't know what to do with your money, and your enemy is bothering you, who actually helps you integrate this stuff into your real life? Who is that for you? Another way of asking it is who encourages you to keep building your house on the rock? Who is there for you to encourage you to build your house on the rock? Now, some people encourage you just by being there for you, right? Some people encourage you by reminding you of scripture. Some people encourage you by, by praying for you. Some people encouraging you by actually modeling a life, a life with God for you that you can see and learn from as they live that life and can encourage you. There's all kinds of different ways. Some people are older than us who encourages us. Some younger, some are peers, some are family members or a spouse or a loved one. But who helps you? Who encourages you to integrate the teaching into your real life? Because the rains are going to come and the floods are going to come. And the reality is, even if you face some rain and floods in your life, remember when I was like 20, I just thought, oh, once you get to a certain point in life, like life just must make sense, right? Like you, you get your house and you get it all figured out, and then once you're like over 30, like it's got to be easy from that point on, right? But it's not. It's not. Life is still confusing. Life still has ups and downs. And the reality of this life on earth um, is that we will still face rain and face trials and face pain and face even floods, like violent floods coming at our life. And who helps you stay connected to Jesus and his teachings? Because the rains are going to come. Um, 
We have the honor of hearing our dear friend um, Jane share a testimony. Um, and I, I am just really grateful that um, Jane would share. We talked about it a few weeks ago. And um, I can tell, I'm, I mean, I'm new again. You want to come on up, Jane? I'm new, but I can tell how Jane is just a beloved person, member, leader um, of this church. And she's going to share her story, and I'm really grateful for that. So here is Jane. Hi, uh, again, my name is Jane, and I am the Worship and Creative Arts Director here at Regen. Um, Thank you for giving me this opportunity to share my story. So as many of you know, this past March, I was diagnosed with recurrent stage four cervical cancer. Um, Since then, just to give you a quick update of what's been happening, uh, I got married to my wonderful husband, Jacob. Um, I moved to Burlingame from Oakland. I made five trips to the ER, had nearly seven liters of fluid drained from my chest and my abdomen, underwent four months of chemo, and finally in August, found out my cancer was in remission. Yay. Uh, I thank God for his mercy and strongly believe that a huge part of my healing is due to all the prayers, love, and support I've received from my husband, my family, friends, and from the church community here at Regen, and also from Jacob's life group at Menlo Church, churches I've been a part of in the past, and even churches I've never stepped foot in. While I've experienced the power of community many times in my life, the way that I was able to experience the depth of Koinonia during this particular storm has been pretty astonishing and incredibly humbling. To backtrack a little bit, my journey with cancer began two years ago in August of 2016 when I got the call from my doctor that I had stage one cervical cancer. I had surgery and was told a week later that the cancer was successfully removed. I sincerely believe that I was done with cancer forever and never imagined it would come back so aggressively less than two years later. From the week I found out the cancer had come back and spread to my lymph nodes, liver, and throughout my abdomen, members of the Regen community rallied so quickly to provide whatever support they could. Billy, who had just recently arrived from Ireland, I think he had just moved here like the week before, immediately offered to get a truck and helped me move to the apartment Jacob and I had just found. Grace Cooper bought all the packing supplies I could ever need. Uplift Home Group, a home group I wasn't even a part of, used their usual meeting time to come over and pack up my whole entire apartment in one night, along with Steph, the Lowe's, and my sister, Mijin. So many people came together in that first week to help me move or just sit with me in the pain of processing this scary development. Throughout the following weeks, our church communities continued to demonstrate such sacrificial love and generosity with their time and resources. Steph went with me to several hospital appointments and sat with me during multiple eight-hour-long chemo infusions. A number of people, many of you in this room, and too many to name, delivered us meals, sent care packages, gifts, cards, letters, offered financial support, 
sent flowers, visited us, and even drove me to the ER. <laughs> in addition to the more tangible ways that people showed their love and care, I was moved to find out that there was a group here at Regen that was meeting on Thursday nights who were fasting and praying for me. I later learned from Genoa, a past Regen intern who moved to Orange County, that her church was also praying for me weekly. So I wanted to thank you all who've been praying for me. It was also during these past six months that I started digging into the word more than I had in my entire life. While undergoing chemo, there were many days that I felt weak and useless because I wasn't able to do much more than lie in bed. At one point, the cancer was causing so much fluid to build up in my lungs, and it was hard to even breathe. I was essentially forced to slow down, which meant I had more space to meditate on scripture and hear from the Lord. There were moments when I felt like giving up, but I clung to the word to remind me of the strength, hope, and fullness of life I had in Jesus. All the while, friends, family, and even strangers were sending me scriptures to encourage and embolden me. I remember a particularly tough night when I was in a lot of pain and had a severe rash all over my torso that kept me through, up throughout the evening. The morning after, I received a text from Kayla that said she was praying Psalm 27 over me, and she sent me the entire passage with my name inserted. For the sake of time, I'll just read the first and last verses. The Lord is Jane's light and her salvation. Whom shall she fear? The Lord is a stronghold of her life. Of whom shall she be afraid? When cancer assails her to eat up her flesh, her adversaries and foe, it is cancer that will stumble and fall. I believe that Jane shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is just one of the many instances when I was guided to the truth at the exact moment that I needed it. When I look back, I see that God has been equipping me with the tools to build my house on a rock and anchoring me to his truths waking me up to the gravity of my own sin, lovingly leading me to true repentance, and spurring me on to greater obedience. I can also see how he's graciously placed people in my life to journey together in this ongoing work of learning and living out the gospel. I don't know what the future holds as I continue to receive treatment and navigate living with late-stage cancer, but I will never forget the love and power that God has shown me not only through his word, but through the gift of Koinonia. Thank you. Um, I, think, I think we're all really grateful for Jane being here. Um, amen. And really great. I'm really grateful for Jane sharing this morning and being honest and, and vulnerable. So I'm going to say a, a prayer for her. Would you join me? Dear God, we are so grateful that Jane is with us in this moment in time. We are so glad she is here. We are so glad that she is feeling better. I am so just grateful for her sharing her, her testimony. And I am so grateful, God, for so many people who have loved her and encouraged her with prayers and with actions as she had gone, has gone through just this horrific pain and sickness 
So God, we ask that you would keep encouraging Jane, that you would keep giving her peace, that you would keep giving her joy, that you would keep giving her strength, um, and that she can keep moving forward. I'm just so grateful for her. God, thank you for hope. Thank you for healing. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for Jane. Amen.